Yeah, it, it feels criminal what I'm doing at the moment. Like, I'm a stranger that turns up at someone's house, hangs around for two to five hours. Yeah. Just, just pick, like, sweeping up leaves and pruning. Yeah. Well, that's the job. Grass. Yeah. I know. But it's so simple. It's so simple. And I, I love to do it. Um, so I, I go somewhere, do something I enjoy for five hours, and then they give me a hundred pound and I leave. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Oh, it's madness! My heart bleeds for you. <laughs> go and just have a really nice time, and then they give me money at the end of it. Woo! Yeah. And then I go home and I clean all my tools, which I like to do, <laughs> and oh. I put them all in the proper place. <laughs> yeah, that's important. Oh. Have you got to the point where you've drawn out? the outline of the tool oh, <laughs> so that so you can know which pretty much i don't I, I don't need to do that but there, there is special hooks for certain tools and then in the van do you want to borrow emma's label maker it's, no no i'm not at that point okay hey up i'm joe heathcote and this is consistently eccentric a british history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced so let's get started with this story <laughs> Stop it. This story takes place at the tail end of 1703, towards the, the winter months of 1703. In 1688, England found itself under new management, because William of Orange arrived on the shores of England on November 5th, having been invited to invade by a group of Protestant nobles. Is that Orange Day? Orange Men's Day? Is yeah, that to do with that. From? So, um... Yeah, we we got the Stuarts back, and then a lot of people went, oh, oh no, oh these guys are just just awful, and they saw a lovely um, Dutch bloke yeah. who happened to be married to someone who had a claim to the English throne, and went, we could ask him to come because he's at least Protestant, and he he put his clogs on, and he he he, he came over. With a fleet of over 300 ships. Fucking hell. Um, for scale, that's double the size of the Spanish Armada that had set sail to invade England exactly 100 years before. So he got a better chance. Well, yeah. And, and the weather was quite kind as well when he finally got there. Having landed an army of over 35,000 men without challenge. So they, they sailed into harbour and just started... Or in an orderly fashion, getting off the boats, no one Hello. thought to go, yeah, thought to go, wait a minute, mm, we should probably tell the king. Uh, oh, shit. Yeah, but most of the nobles, uh, when they saw this was happening, they decided it would be a good idea to abandon King James II and proclaim William and his wife Mary the new king and queen of England. It's that easy. Yep. They were crowned on April the 11th, 1689, in what is now known as the Glorious Revolution. The Quiet Revolution, maybe? Well, that's why it was thought to be glorious, because no blood was shed. It was just the will of the people being shown. Were they all in support of it? Yeah, well, there was... The, the, uh, more not in support of James. Yeah, the the people who mattered and who had a voice, because, you know, politically speaking, it's people who had a bit of money. That's changed. Um, they all got some... Um, Part of the deal for basically we're going to deliver you the throne was that he would have to agree to giving the nobles and the people of England more power than they had under James the uh, James the Second. Right, so it's a big step up for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, they were basically going, we'll we'll support you, and you'll be able to take all of this land and all of these incomes, and it's not going to risk anything for you. But in return, we want uh, you know a parliamentary democracy to have a bit more saying what goes on we want you to have to actually run things by parliament rather than just decree things so it was the beginnings of what our system is now essentially with such a big fleet of ships though william was less than impressed with the harbors and docks that england had to offer for some reason the men in charge of the navy had decided to use timber as the main building material for all of the docks despite these constructions having high maintenance costs and occasionally burning down entirely so, what's the what's the stone stone well, dock would be a good idea. Yeah, but stone's really heavy. <laughs> I know you've got to move it. From I know where the, for where the stone grows. It was it was that traditional English short termism of well, it'll do for now. Yeah, and by the time it's all rotted away, 
I won't be working on the docks anymore, so it will be somebody else's problem. And for generations, they just will patch it up or it'll be good enough. And yeah. this this guy came over to this country that he'd been basically handed and went, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> this is this is shit. We need to do something <laughs> about this straight away because I'm not happy having any of my boats in these docks. William decided that he needed to start from scratch. And one of his first official appointments as new joint ruler was to appoint a new surveyor of the Navy called Edmund Drummond. Mm. Edward Drummond. Edmund. Isn't that police squad? Mm. I was watching the police squad movie yesterday. Frank Drummond. <laughs> Frank, Frank Drebben. Drebben. Yeah. So Edmund, his first task was to look for a suitable site for a new naval base around Plymouth. He located a site at Devonport on the River Tamar which he insisted would be perfect for building the new royal dockyards. And he sent his recommendations to his new king and queen. Chief amongst these recommendations were that the new docks would be made out of stone. I've been there. In Plymouth? Yeah. Yeah. William saw the wisdom in actually building things to last, and he agreed with the plan. With the only tweak being his insistence that the dry dock being built as part of the complex was large enough to hold first-rate ships those being ships with 100 or more guns and a capacity for over 400 crew. So the big, big buggers. Mm. This made it the largest dry dock in Europe at the time of construction. So he was upgrading the infrastructure immediately on a, a big scale. <laughs> he got this new country and he was like, I'm going to make sure that I don't lose it. I'm not going to have somebody just rock up and just take it from me like they took it from James. But he only did it really because he, he wanted to boost employment. Well, it would have done. Yeah. I mean, it's another good way of cementing a new reign, isn't it? Oh, we'll just have a load of jobs going. Now, there was one last problem to solve. The fact that getting into the mouth of the new harbour by ship was quite tricky and dangerous because sitting about... Sharks. Mm, well, no... I mean, I assume there are some sharks in the channel, but there'll be dogfish. <laughs> It'll take about 30 of them to take down a man. <laughs> Sitting about nine miles out from the Tamar estuary is a large reef known as the Eddystone Rocks. It covers an area of about a square mile, and at high tide the jagged rocks are only just covered by the waves, making the perfect place to remove the hull from the rest of a ship. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was infamous that people will be coming in up the channel. So you come you know, round the tip of Cornwall and you're coming up the channel to try and dock in Plymouth or London and they just go straight over the top of these things that just hold them. <laughs> and then blub, 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 blub. If Plymouth was to become a new centre of shipping, then someone had to come up with a way to ensure that ships would not accidentally stray into the rocks. Get rid of the rocks. But that's, a, that's some blue sky thinking right there. Or build a, some like sort of beacon on it. Ooh. Maybe a lighthouse. Ooh. Ooh. Is it the big red and white pillar in Plymouth? Is it? The man to solve the problem was called Walter Whitfield, or Wally Whit. Yeah. Who approached the authorities with an idea to build a lighthouse upon the very rocks themselves to warn shipping. In return, he only wanted to collect dues from the passing ships at a rate of a penny per ton of all inward and outward bound vessels. That seems a lot. It would have... Penny it, per ton? A penny per ton, and a lot of these were, you know, quite a few ton. And a penny's quite a decent price. Yeah, but the cost of a penny for each ship going, you know, uh, you know, cost 400 pennies to get in and out versus the cost of the ship going down. No, I understand for them it's nothing, but for him it's quite a lot. For oh, one yeah. individual, four pounds is uh, is decent per ship. The idea to the naval authorities, it sounded perfect, and Whitfield received a royal patent for the idea in 1694, with encouragement to get started on the project as soon as he was able. Unfortunately, Wally Whitfield, he was more of an ideas guy than an engineer. Yeah, it's the creatives in him. Yeah, he'd, yeah. he'd had this idea, and then he said, great, do it. And then it kind of stopped. Yeah. He he didn't even try to design a lighthouse. We didn't draw it. No, no. I don't know what, what he hoped. It was like, step one, get the permission to 
build the lighthouse. Step three, charge people for the lighthouse. <laughs> and just run out of steam and confidence. Step two, never. <laughs> never occurred. I can't do this. What was his job before that? He didn't have any experience? No, no, he was just, just a merchant. He didn't have any experience in it. Uh, yeah, so he did nothing all the way through um, 1694. And then 1695, he had a few other projects on the go. And he, you know he's looking at that pattern every day. It's on his desk. <laughs> just making him feel more and more yeah. guilty. And there's papers piling around it. No, he, he's, he put, it, he's put it in the drawer now. <laughs> every time he has to open that drawer, it's like, oh, God, yeah, yeah. He keeps getting messengers. Uh, you, you know, the king has requested your presence. No, <laughs> I can't. Can't come to the palace today. Very busy. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Okay. Inevitably, this lack of action led I'd, to 400 seafarers dying. Well, yeah, pretty much. The increased shipping traffic uh, and the growing Plymouth port led to disaster when the cargo ship Constant hit the rocks on Christmas Eve with all crew members being lost. Never found. Mm. Well. Does lost mean they didn't find the bodies or that they all died? Uh, well, uh, both, really. I mean, in this, n- none of the bodies were found in this. Right. The loss of the constant was definitely a disaster for the people who'd been on her, but it would also prove to be a blessing in disguise for the people of Plymouth, who were getting a bit sick of waiting for their new lighthouse. Yeah. Because it highlighted the issue to the former owner of the constant an Essex merchant called Henry Wynne Stanley. This was the second ship he had lost on the rocks in just a couple of years. The first one was called Snowdrop, which is a lovely name for a ship. His Snowdrop, his fluffy buns. Constant. (laughs) The constant. Yeah, it's a bit jarring between the two, isn't it? And considering he had started his... um, I think because he'd he'd named them so um, gentilely. Yeah. That... um, and he's lost them. Is that <laughs> it, we need more fortitude to these names? They need to sound strong. Yeah, the constant, mm. the bugger, <laughs> the hard as nails. <laughs> yeah. Well, he'd he'd started his merchant shipping business with five ships, so just the Eddystone Rocks alone had taken nearly half of his fleet in yeah. a couple of years. Uh, so he he definitely needed something to happen, and the government officials tried to reassure him when he complained about this. That there was a plan to build a lighthouse. Then he, Henry asked for time scales, and they shrugged their shoulders and went, mm. "It's not my division." Yeah, uh, and just direct- talked to Wally Whitless. <laughs> That's what they did. They basically directed him to to Walter's house. <laughs> well, he's he's the guy with the answers. He keeps telling us any day now. <laughs> it's it's uh, pre pre uh, built. Yeah. He's just going to drop it on at the last minute. Henry could immediately see that Walter was not the kind of man who would be able to pull off a feat of engineering required to build what would be the world's first open ocean lighthouse. He had no eyes. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say whether that's true or not. (laughs) I can see it in my my dreams, but... Do you think he's just encouraged to that position? Mm. He's just in the pub and he's like, fucking need it, right? They should build a lighthouse or something. What a great idea, Wally. You should go and tell him that. Well, Wally. <laughs> Three yeah. more beers. I will. I'll tell I'm him. I'll write to him right now. Dear sir or madam. Dear king. <laughs> Henry, though, having seen how inept Wally was, he knew just the person to take on the project. Himself. Yes, because Henry was the product of the Enlightenment who was not only a merchant, but a professionally trained architectural engraver, not engineer, just engraver, a fairly accomplished painter, and a collector and creator of mechanical... boards. If only. A collector and creator of mechanical gadgets of all descriptions. We're talking clocks. No? We're talking... Well, I assume he could make a clock if he, if he wanted to, That but... machine that when you flick the switch, it flicks the switch back up. Oh, yeah, the, the, the point pointless box. Switch, yeah. yeah. Well, he built so many that he then housed them all in a specially built house in Essex that became known as the Essex House of Wonders. He installed a turnstile and charged a shilling for people to go and look around. That's quite a lot. And people paid. Yeah. Some of the attractions, would you like to hear what they had? If you if you paid your shilling and went to the Essex House of Wonders, you could expect okay. a fake ghost. Should I react to these? 
as though I'm seeing them for the first time. Okay. Well, the first one, a fake ghost that would rise from beneath the floor. Ooh. It's, it's only worth that, is it? <laughs> I oh, am, no. I'm I am both shocked I'm going to close my eyes alarmed. and imagine these things as you tell me. A clockwork organ. Yeah. That would play jaunty tunes. What organ? Like a liver? Like a... Uh, with keys. Oh. <laughs> yeah, just a clock. A, a clockwork, clockwork liver kidney. would be really impressive, wouldn't it? First dialysis machine. <laughs> Come. You can try it if you want. Uh, distorting mirrors, like in a fun house. Yeah. A chair that, when you sat in it, would suddenly fly backwards into the garden. <laughs> what? You'd sit on the chair and it a would suddenly go. It would suddenly chair. go. Woof, and you'd be in the garden. <laughs> Another chair that would imprison anyone who sat on it. Oh, like a James Bond film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and a windmill that powered an artificial stream. That's quite nice. Yeah. Seeing the enthusiasm for his creations, Henry decided... So, so he'd made all these things? Yeah, yeah. Fucking hell. Just yeah, as a, get a him on the lighthouse. <laughs> lighthouse is nothing. Well, he, he done it. going to be full of ridiculous things. <laughs> uh, we'll get to it, but it was a little bit over-engineered, yes. Yeah. Um... Seeing the enthusiasm for all his creations in Essex, though, Henry decided he could up his game and open a second location in the big city. This building, just off Piccadilly in London, had a windmill built on top and was christened the Mathematical Water Theatre. It's pretty cool. However, it quickly picked up the nickname Win Stanley's Waterworks. Is that where Waterworks in Monopoly comes from? No. Right in. <laughs> You don't need to, it it isn't. Inside, patrons could expect to see a truly unique show that included waterfalls, dragons breathing fire, and people seeming to fly as curtains of water drew back. Mm. There were also lots of pyrotechnics. And a ping pong show. (laughs) That was was the after hours (laughs) show. However, the thing that most people remember from the show was the refreshments. These were served from a contraption called the Magic Barrel which could produce any drink, hot or cold, in an instant from only one spout. I know this. I know the magic um, uh, uh, teapot. Mm. It's, it has like four separate like um, compartments. compartments in it. Just, well, I, just, just how it's engineered. Yeah. I don't know how the magic barrel worked, but... Is it like a vending machine? Well, yeah, I mean, you could, you know... It's just a guy, it's just a guy that's been shoved in there with <laughs> boxes of cordial. And... Well, it was it was complicated things. It was like people would be asking for brandy and then the next person would want a coffee. And there's then a the next guy person in want... there. There's a guy. <laughs> <laughs> this barrel is about... This... Completely mechanical. Ow! It's a mechanical scream. You want a tea? <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, you'd have to do the voice, you want tea. No, no, as in... Oh, you're shouting to the person yeah. in the barrel. Shout that your order to the barrel. <laughs> no, louder. I don't... I like to think that... Hot it, blood, please. I don't... Yeah, that'll probably push the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> the guy inside just opening a vein. Like, <laughs> this happens too much. <laughs> you know, all these people. Surely, though, a man who could create such amazing mechanical marvels would be more than capable of constructing one lighthouse even if it was going to have to be built nine miles from shore. Having bought the patent from a, let's face it, probably relieved Willie... Sorry, it's getting pre-built in on shore. No, no, no. He's He it doesn't he doesn't know how he's going to do it yet, but he's definitely going to have to, at some point, have a lighthouse nine miles from shore. For, something sorry, that's never so been sorry. done before. Yeah. Is it the famous lighthouse of Plymouth? We will find out, won't we? Because I'm sure that's inland... I can say that that question will be answered okay. before the end of today's episode. Because there's another one, because it, it's the red and white. This is the thing. So on the uh, the Plymouth-like emblem mm. is that lighthouse. Mm. Um, there's another one 10 miles up the coast. Mm. Oh, no, it must be like 20 miles up the coast um, that's square, but the same colourage. Yeah. Um, I thought that was Plymouth mm. from a distance. <laughs> it's a good job you're not navigating people in, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but having bought the patent from, you know, Wally, who you imagine the relief. Oh, God. He's made money on the deal. Yeah. And he hasn't actually had to do anything. And now the guilt has finally been lifted from his shoulders after two and a half years. Oh, oh you you want to do it? And, and you'll pay me? Yeah. 
Yes. There you, there you go. Just take it away from me. Uh, he pla- um, Henry planned to begin the construction that very year in July, when the weather was likely to be most favourable. Excited that the work was finally being started, the government agreed to loan Henry the use of a ship to transport workers and supplies to and from the rocks each day. The ship they gave him was called the Terrible. Did that have a different meaning back then? I I mean, I imagine they were trying to be intimidating, but I don't want to be, oh, we've given you a a ship, it's the Terrible. I don't think I want that ship. I I want the competent. Yeah, the sturdy. Yeah. The reliable. I want old reliable. Do you have old reliable? No, but they, they're the ones that go down. Well, for the irony. Yeah, it's like Titanic. The unsinkable ship. Oh, so you want to call yours the an eminently sinkable ship. The r- rickety Lenny. <laughs> Holy Sue. <laughs> yeah. In his first reconnaissance trip, Henry picked the most suitable rock for the lighthouse, naming it House Rock, and took measurements so that he could fine-tune his plans. From that point on, things got difficult. On days where it was very calm and would be perfect for working on the rocks, the Terrible couldn't get close to the rocks because it was a sail ship. And without the wind, it weren't really going anywhere. So the workers were forced to either abandon work or row miles in the longboats to get to the rock. And when they tried that, they found that they were absolutely knackered and couldn't actually do any of the work that they'd rowed there to do. On days where it was windy, though... The Terrible could get nice and close, but actually landing on the rock from the longboat was nearly impossible, and workers spent most of their time trying not to be swept away, yeah, even when they did get onto the rock. And you've got to, you know, you've got to take into t- uh, tides, times yeah. and all that. Oh, yeah. This left only a few days, uh, which fell in the sweet spot of just enough wind, but not so much that it was dangerous, when any actual work could take place. In the entirety of that first summer and early autumn of 1696, when Stanley and his team had only managed to drill 12 holes and set 12 long iron rods in place with molten lead. So that's all they did. Is that how it's set in the rock? That's how it was set in the rock, yeah. And how are you drilling? I'm, uh, well, it would have to be hand drills, wouldn't it? Through rock? Yep. Nah. However, <laughs> they'd need to wait till the next year to actually put a lighthouse on those foundations because the weather was deteriorating rapidly. The start of the work in 1697 was rapid, and soon the stone section at the base of the tower was completed to the point that Henry felt it would be safe for workers to stay on the rock overnight in order to speed up the building of the wooden section of the lighthouse, which would be the majority of it. He was so pleased that he gave the Admiralty Commissioner a tour of it on the 25th of June, just for his own ego boost. Look at, look at, they said it couldn't be done. Look at this. Why are you this. making a lighthouse out of wood? Why indeed? Because the, the light of the lighthouse is just a, a giant flame, isn't it? With a yeah. mirror and... Yeah, yeah. Inside, yeah, in yeah in intensifying the flame, yeah. Yeah. The commissioner who was sent it's, out, though... I already know the ending. Should we do the next one? You don't know the ending. Okay. The commissioner, George St. Lowe, he didn't express any worries about a wooden section because many of the lighthouses that were built on shore would have wooden sections to them. So why would you change it just because it's in the open ocean? He agreed that the workers could definitely stay overnight and decided that this meant that the Terrible could go off cruising in the channel in search of French privateers. As long as they checked in with Win Stanley every morning, uh, you know, just to see if he needed any more supplies, um, rather than having to stay next to the Eddystone Rocks every day for another full summer. Because that's quite a big commitment in terms of a naval ship to say, well, you're actually essentially out of commission. You're just going to sit there and just watch these guys as they slowly move rocks and bits of wood. Well, aren't all the rocks and bits of wood coming from the terrible? Well, they're co- yeah. So every morning... What they're they not would- coming back every morning. I can't see that happening. Well, as soon as St. Lowe and the terrible left the area, because St. Lowe had his own little private, you know, commissionership, so he took that back to Plymouth, and the terrible went, finally, we can go and try and find some French pirates, and off they went. Uh, yeah, a French privateer came into view of the rocks. Oh, shit. The captain of this particular French ship was convinced that the building on the rock was likely to be some kind of gun turret or similar weapon of war designed to destroy noble French vessels. Because, of course, we were at war with French at the oh, time. Oh, the needles, yeah. are, they're just going to... So they're coming straight at him. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
he ordered that as much of this new construction as possible be destroyed before he took Henry Winstanley captive and set sail back for Le Havre so that he could quickly report back to the king in Paris. Okay, now. <laughs> so, literally, the first day, they don't have the terrible... And that's where they're, look- they're looking for French. Yeah, well, you imagine, they went off sort of <coughs> towards, you know, Portsmouth, London way. They went up the channel, and this French privateer had just been waiting just out of sight. It's like, hee-hee-hee, finally, we can see what they're up to. <laughs> oh, no, 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 we will stop this. The Admiralty were understandably quite annoyed with St. Lowe and held him personally responsible for the fact that Henry was now languishing in a Paris prison. <laughs> okay. <laughs> After all, the Nine Years' War, it, I, I guess fairly, it was technically over, but no peace treaties had been formally signed. Just so there the was, Cold War. Yeah, well, what it meant was there was no guarantee that they could get Henry back. This was all it, based on what, what would the French king decide. He, there was nothing compelling him to give this engineer back to the to the English. It was just like, well, we can ask him. Blackmail, not blackmail. Ransom? Yeah, you could. they might have had to have paid a hefty ransom. Luckily for Henry, though, he was able to make an appeal directly to the Sun King himself, Louis XIV, explaining that he was simply trying to reduce the amount of merchant ships that were being lost in the Channel each year. So, it's not a weapon of war. It's just a giant flaming beacon. Are they still trade? Are they trading with the French? Oh, we we always trade with the French, even, even when we're at, at war. war. Yeah. So it isn't their interest. He's yeah. coming home. Well, Louis was so impressed by Henry that he tried to offer him a job on some building projects in France. Henry's like, I need to finish this thing. Can I go home and finish this lighthouse, and then happily I will return post haste to help you out. Yeah. Do you know what? You're right. Yeah. He he didn't go for the money. He he went for the noble undertaking that he'd started. He was like, no, I've, I've given my word to one king that I will finish something. I'm not having two kings bothering me <laughs> to finish. Yeah, multiple projects. Yeah, that's just, that's too much stress. Um, so he said, please, can I just go back and finish this lighthouse first? And the French king, Louis XIV... He agreed. He provided transport, a few gifts by way of an apology, and the words, France is at war with England, not with humanity. Do we like Louis? He was the longest reigning European monarch. He ruled for 72 or 76 years. It was a long time. He was like, you know, he was basically, he was born and while he was still a babe, you know, daddy died and he became king. So, but yeah, he was a long ruled that doesn't mean that it you know, was a good one. Well, I, at that sort of time, I, I think... You survived a long yeah, time. Yeah, but you didn't survive long if you were particularly crap at ruling right. in these days, did you? In all, the little adventure to Paris had only cost Henry around two weeks. So that's one hell of a holiday, isn't it? <laughs> a fortnight away. You think back to bloody... Uh, what was he called? Wally. Mm. How quickly two weeks flew for Wally. <laughs> <laughs> Of procrastination. <laughs> he managed to start building the lighthouse, have that destroyed, be taken to France, meet the king, yeah. and get back to the lighthouse. And after those two weeks, I imagine, he got back and... He didn't say anything. He was just yeah. wondering how far they got on. Yeah, he got back and said, like, you've stopped. Like, well, you weren't here. It doesn't mean that you stop. You know what we're doing. I've shown you the plans. Yeah. Jesus. So, yeah, by the end of the year... The stone base was fully complete and ready for the larger wooden structure to be added. So, fingers crossed, no more, you know, kidnappings will be ready to go in 1698. That's that's the goal now, okay? The octagonal lighthouse was finally finished in the November of 1698, so they cut it fine. Uh, yeah, and it, was, it wasn't the way you'd imagine someone might build a lighthouse with you know, a nice sort of smooth circular surface so that it's deflecting the waves. This was just eight sides. Mm. So it was taking quite pounded a, by the sea. It was taking quite a battering. It and stood, the wind. <laughs> yeah, it stood 80 foot tall with the light being provided by 60 candles that were reflected out to warn ships of the danger and could be seen for many, many miles, even in rough, Would they rough be weather. they whale fat candles? I don't know what they were made from. I oh, know, it's not, is it whale fat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the, whale oil was the yeah. it was the major source of lighting for a good hundred years. Keen to be able to start collecting the tolls, 
Henry ordered the lantern lit on November the 14th, while he and his workers were finishing up the final few jobs, because this thing, it had decorative sconces, Mm -hmm. it had little beams that would come out from the the side, so it had loads of, like, crane arms. It had a tiny little device for throwing rocks, just in case another French privateer tried to have a go. So, Mm -hmm. like... The lighthouse keeper, when they got there, would be like, and here's your living quarters. Well, this is it. He's adding all that weird mechanical <laughs> yeah. shit. Here's, here's um, the light, obviously. Here's your siege weaponry. <laughs> like, what? Yes, yes, you know, the siege weaponry. Here's a chair that throws you out to sea. <laughs> yeah. If Don't they, sit on that. Yeah, if they come to get you, make them sit in the chair, yeah. okay? <laughs> but otherwise, maybe have a red cushion on it or something to denote danger. <laughs> we don't <laughs> lose so many lighthouse keepers that way. Whee! <laughs> so yeah he had it lit on november the 14th they're just finishing up doing a little bit of painting you know snagging list yeah snag list that's what they're on however the weather became so stormy that they were not relieved by the newly hired lighthouse keeper and his wife until december 22nd 38 days later they couldn't get off they couldn't get off the rock having lit the lamp they spent over a month so he was inadvertently the first lighthouse keeper at the eddie stone lighthouse just because he couldn't get off he was just there yeah he was just there it's like so, i guess someone's got to do it and you know the other workers are like time and a half we're getting time and a half and we're charging for every single hour we're right. on this goddamn rock and they've all got a lighthousekeeper's wage yeah through the stormy winter season henry began making back some of the estimated five thousand pounds he had invested into building the lighthouse because he got a load of loans to do it but he was on the hook for all of those loans so he really did need it to, to work out. Is he getting a percentage of the same um, deal that Wally got? Yeah, he's, 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 on, he's taken on, over the tolls. He's getting that penny a ton. Yeah, so the idea was he's taken on all of this debt and all of these loans, and then he'll pay that off using a percentage of the, the income. And then once once he's paid that off, his earnings will go from a little bit to he's getting every single penny for that. You know, for the rest of his life. Although weirdly, he was in his fifties when he when he took on this project. So, you know, he's banking on having, yeah, you know, a good good old age. Is it, there. Is it in the contract that it's only his life? Uh, I, I well, I think it was to him personally. I don't know if he would be able to to hand it off to somebody else. To be honest, so unfortunately for him, when he returned in the spring for an inspection, he saw that there were already signs of damage to the stone section at the bottom. And that the wooden section was looking a bit... Battered? Yeah, a little bit... Not so fresh. Worse for wear, yeah. let's say. Barnacly. The lighthouse keeper also informed him that there had been a couple of storms where the waves reached high enough to actually snuff out the lights in the lantern room at the top. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> 80 foot? Yeah. It's like, uh, the, mm, there were a couple of hairy days there, um, Henry. Is there anything we can do about that? And Henry decided that he did have to do something about it. And he, he sort of thought about what might have caused the damage and it was the octagonal design he kind of went yeah it's presenting quite a large flat surface for these waves to be hitting and that's probably where the danger's coming on so he resolved to invest another two thousand pounds building a complete new outer shell for his lighthouse that would be a dodecagonal or 12-sided design so (laughs) having invested five thousand pounds he's now double skinning the entire thing again yeah because he's terrified that... It's going to collapse. It, yeah, one more year it, and it'll be down yeah. again. And then he gets no money. Mm. He also raised the overall height by another 20 foot, making it a 100 foot lighthouse. He also added a balcony uh, that overlooked the landing area so that the lighthouse keeper and his wife could, I don't know, sit out in the evenings. Why not? And even more cranes. Just because <laughs> he liked having yeah, things that you could do. Yeah, contraptions and bits on there. The new additions appeared to have done the trick. And over the next four years, the lighthouse worked really quite well. Uh, He recouped over half of the initial outlay over those four years, meaning that Henry Winstanley was likely to be seeing his first profit all to himself in 1708, when he would be 64 years old. That's, of course, if he lived that long. Yeah, which Mm. he won't. Hmm. Mm. Well, the autumn of 1703, it was a particularly stormy one. It's all through the lighthouse. Well, a, there was a self-perpetuating cycle of low pressure being drawn in from the mid-Atlantic, and it led to southern England being battered on a near-daily basis um, from late October. So it was literally, they were like, 
referring to them as hurricanes and they were coming through every couple of days and ships were being lost left, right and centre all the way through uh, late October, early November. By November 20th, Henry was really concerned that the unprecedented weather might be causing some damage to his lighthouse. So he he headed to Plymouth, determined to inspect it himself on the next clear day. Oh, because he's living in Essex. Yeah, yeah. He's his, gone. He's, he goes back to his house of marvels. Yeah. And then he's just spent all of that time, you know, every time there was a storm, he's just... Uh, oh, I, I hope it's okay. You know when I built that recording studio, mm. every time it like rained or stormed, yeah, God, I I'd be looking okay. at, I'd, I'd be watching outside for how bad it was, <laughs> and messaging the guy I'd, I'd made it for. Is it okay? Is the uh, studio standing all right? It took me like six it's months wobbling. to like come to terms with it. Well, yeah, and you didn't have that wasn't Terrifying, your, that yeah. wasn't your source of income as well. He's he's there going. Oh, I hope it's okay because really do need that money this month i really do need the tolls i can't i can't have it go down so he's there in plymouth he's just waiting he's like all i need is one clear day i can go out have a look it'll be fine i'm sure it'll be fine and then i can go home and i'm you know mind at rest if it can stand up to this weather over this last hellish month it can stand up to anything he had to wait nearly a week but on the 26th of november henry woke to a day that seemed calm enough at least calm enough to allow a window to inspect the lighthouse. The captain who had agreed to take him warned that it would need to be a very quick inspection as it was feared that the largest storm of the season would blow through that night and he wanted to be safely back in harbour. Henry responded that if that was the case, he would rather that the captain drop him off and then head back immediately as he wanted nothing more than to be in his lighthouse during, and this is a quote from him, the greatest storm that ever blew under the face of the heavens. Everyone's so dramatic, aren't they? He took a couple of his friends with him and arrived with supplies for the lighthouse keeper and his wife by mid-morning, waving the anxious captain off with a request that he should return as soon as possible after the storm to bring them back to Plymouth. So he's like, well, I've built it and this is my opportunity to prove to everyone that how great an engineer I am. I am. It's like the, you know, when they used to, I think it was just um, a made-up story, but they used to say people in Roman Britain, when they built bridges... Yeah, they'd have step. to stand under no they'd have to stand under the keystone when all the uh, supports were taken away to prove that they trusted the bridge because if it fell down it'd hit them on the head and kill them right so it's like a are you sure about this are you sure you've got all your measurements right because we're going to take the chocks away now and it's either going to stay standing or you're going to be a pile of goo it seems like it's a similar you know i'm going to prove to everyone that i'm not scared my lighthouse is i can't believe he's going to be crushed by his own bridge <laughs> and his friends are there. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it turned out the captain was right, and the night of the 26th of November, 1703, was possibly the biggest storm ever recorded in England. Christ. The sky, by reports, became ink black. The tiny sliver of a new moon completely obscured by thick, foreboding clouds. And that all of the... Because um, Daniel Defoe collected people's stories about the storm... He wrote a book where basically he just asked people, he put out in newspapers, write, write me your stories about what you experienced and what happened in your town. I'm going to put them all together in a big book so we can all remember the storm. So we've got loads of different reports and all of them say the sky was just... Angry. Just No, just black. Just this solid black ceiling. You know, there were no stars, there was no moon, there was nothing. There was just this low black ceiling. Then the wind began to increase. Slowly, inexorably, and then stronger and stronger, whipping the waves into ever larger peaks. Eerily, the reports also suggest that there were no flashes of lightning and rumbling of thunder, or even rain for the most part, just an ink-black sky and a never-ending howling wind. At some point in the night, the waves became so violent that the lantern room was breached, extinguishing the light. Hundred foot up now. And with a hole in the wooden section of the structure, the wind quickly began to reduce the top 60 foot of the lighthouse to kindling. With nothing but a gaping hole left above them, Henry and the others were at the mercy of the waves that continued to crash over the remaining wooden and stone structure. By morning, there was practically nothing left of the Eddystone lighthouse. Definitely not the bodies of Henry, his friends, and the lighthouse keepers, whose bodies were never found. With the lighthouse gone, it only took the Eddystone Rocks two days to claim another ship, 
after a five-year period when not a single person had died as a result of the rocks. It's because they got used to them being, you know, the lighthouse being there as well. Mm. That was uh, the Winchelsea, of which 22 of the 28 men drowned. The other six were saved standing on the same house rock, just waving at passing boats, like, please, please, before another storm, please. Hideous mermaids. (laughs) Terrified mermaids. (laughs) Just screaming. The losses started to pile up to the point that the government were desperate for another lighthouse to be built and were willing to offer a 50-year lease to whoever would stump up the cash. The lease would allow the owner to charge double the tolls that Wynne Stanley had been able to. So they doubled the price. Like, please, we desperately need this to be done. Quick, efficient, get it done. Captain John Lovett took up the offer and commissioned a man called John Ruyard to design a new lighthouse. His only request was that it be as cheap as possible to maximise profits, which is always a good idea. (laughs) Oh, Christ. John Ruyard was probably confused by this request, as he was a silk merchant by trade and had never designed a building of any sort in his life. Couldn't they just get an architect? Well, you'd think, wouldn't you? No, but I'm saying, why Why did he not ever employ somebody who made... There's all the lighthouses. Someone made them. I think because... Are they all silk merchants? <laughs> well, John Lovett took up the things he wanted the money, and he knew John Ruyard was in debt and would probably design a lighthouse for him on the cheap. Right. Uh, yeah. Who you know. Because he, he offered him 250 quid and a small share in the ongoing profits. So it's like, uh, John Ruyard probably knew he shouldn't be designing a lighthouse, but who, in, if you're in a hole and someone says, here's 250 quid and ongoing money, you've just got to figure this out on the fly. You D- give it a go. Does he know what a lighthouse looks like? I'm sure he saw the old Eddystone lighthouse from a distance. Um, right. So, you know. Nine miles away. It looks, it looks vaguely pointy. Yeah. So, he's got his commission, he's got his orders, do it, do it quick, do it cheap. For the foundation, he chose wood. For the foundation? Yep. Planks of wood just laid down to form a base. While the supporting structure, you know, the supporting frame of the lighthouse, would be built of wood. The superstructure and cladding would also be made of wood. Of wood. <laughs> Aside from some rocks for ballast, the entire 100-foot structure was essentially wood, wood, wood all the way through. Though he did have a few shipwrights cork the planks on the outside so that it was likely to ensure it was kind of waterproof, <laughs> which <laughs> I love. We don't we don't want to skimp on it, so we'll try and cork the uh, mm. the outside. But aside from that, wood through and through. Cork. This new lighthouse benefited from the fact that it was Cheap. relatively easy to build. and yeah, Quick. Yep. Threw it up. And it started operating in July 1708 less than five years after the last one had been swept away. Right, 1708. Mm. It can't be there by 1710. Well, despite having been built quickly and on the cheap, the new Eddystone Lighthouse didn't have to face a once-in-a-millennium storm and it was still working 47 years later what? in 1755. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well done. Well done indeed, but... The rot. Oh, well, you remember we talked about two things that, yeah. that caused the docks problems. There was the rot and the... On December 2nd, a spark from one of the candles used in the lantern ignited one of the wooden boards. How dare it. And this was one of the wooden boards in the lantern room. The three lighthouse keepers were about 80 foot below cooking their tea. As everything in the entire building was wooden, the fire quickly spread, but they were completely unaware because... It's windy. Well, yeah, all the smoke's rising... All the wind's up, and they're supposed to be seeing a glow from above them, so they're just down there cooking as it slowly works its way down the lighthouse. They're, just, they're at the bottom of a wick. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. The just, bottom of a candlestick. Just waiting. Uh, by the time they noticed that, you know, it was a bit brighter than usual, <laughs> the light, uh, it was too late. The top of their heads have got all sweaty. Though, to be fair to the three men... They did try to put out the fire. By blowing on it. (laughs) By throwing literal buckets of water at what was essentially a hundred foot pillar of flame. (laughs) Because what else have they got? They stood on a small rock with it. Yeah, It's my house. (laughs) (laughs) My things are in there. It did not work. (laughs) I know, shocker. But their attempts at heroism did lead to the death of the oldest of the keepers. 94-year-old Henry Hall, 
who eventually died due to the effects of smoke inhalation. Throwing his back out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the, The other two were rescued by a boat and taken back to Plymouth Docks to explain what had happened to the owners. Oh, my God. Now needing a third lighthouse within 60 years, it was finally decided to ask an actual... How many ships have crashed? What, as a result? Yeah, of this one disappearing. I didn't didn't look into that, but I imagine there would have at least been a few, because the problem is... Let's say 117. Well, this has been standing now for 47 years, which means that there's a generation of sailors who've always had the light as a guide... So whereas before there was a lighthouse, all the sailors knew that they had to be bloody careful and try and avoid it. You've got this group of people coming through now like, well, you just look out for the light and you stay to the right. There was one day where Mm. the sailors had a super lighthouse. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, these modifications. Brilliant. Yeah. Can't you just... just... So in many ways, it probably was more dangerous after this lighthouse had gone down than it had ever been because people were lulled into this sense of security that, oh, well, I can't see it. I must be way over. I'm nearly in Guernsey. Yeah, so needing a lighthouse number three in 60 years, they decided to ask an actual civil engineer. Good stuff. A man called John Smeaton, who also made mathematical instruments as a side hustle. Yeah. That was his other job. John decided to build the entire thing out of stone. Wow. Rather than wood. What a fool. I know. He also decided to make it cylindrical and tapered so that it would deflect waves better. For good measure, he also, just because he could, developed a concrete that would cure underwater called hydraulic lime. So he's just going to mess about with some chemistry as well to make sure that, you know, these these would be the most found foundation foundations that this lighthouse has ever had. It ensured that the joints between the lighthouse and the rock were just... It was like the, it was rising from the stone. It yeah. essentially melded them together. Unbelievably, though, this lighthouse, designed by a man whose job was to design buildings, was the shortest lived of all of them. How? No, it wasn't. It lasted over 100 years. And even to this day, the base of this lighthouse still stands on Home Rock because the foundations were so secure they could not be removed. The rest was recited to a hill outside Plymouth and renamed Smeaton Tower as a monument to the very competent designer, where it stands to this day. You can so go and visit that's, Smeaton uh, Tower. Which, that used to be on Eddie Rock. Yeah, used to be on Home Rock in the Eddie Stone Rocks. Eddie Stone Rocks, right. And they tried to take the entire lighthouse because it's like, well... Why did they take it down? They took it down because they wanted to build an upgraded one. Which they have now. Yes, they were sort of planning it yeah. immediately. The fourth... And current Eddystone Lighthouse was designed by James Douglas and lit in 1882. Douglas was a prolific lighthouse designer who constructed over a dozen of them in his lifetime. However, for his Eddystone design, he received a knighthood, which seems fair as his version is definitely the longest lasting. At 140 years to this point, though I assume the helipad was a later edition. They um, still lit with candles. Uh, yes, just the Eddystone one, just yeah. for, you know... Um, uh, uh, authenticity. Yeah, it's like we've always used candles. Not going to use any of that No. Have you got any pictures? Stuff. I know it's not for the for the listeners, but could you show me a picture of it? Yeah, I suppose I could. Can I just do the sources and then oh, I'll get it up? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I can do it while. So, sources. The source um, was a book... Barbecue. ...called The Greatest Storm by Martin Brain. And actually, the bit about the Eddystone Lighthouse was sort of like one chapter in that book and i was going to do the episode on the great storm of 1703 that was what this was going to be but i found that i'd started with the lighthouse because i felt that would be a nice sort of bookend to it it just kept going yeah and it was like okay this is already an entire episode on its own i can't continue uh writing more otherwise i'll have you here for a five hour sort of jaunt through history but i've got to go yeah i know that's why i didn't do that to you but i could have done know that i could Let's have a look at it. I know, right? if you just kept talking and talking, if mm. you wrote a five-hour episode... Yeah, that's I'd true, actually. Say, you wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. So, images. Um, so, there's there's when the new one was built, and you can see the uh, the foundations of the other one is just sat there. Oh, yeah. Mm. God, it's treacherous, that, isn't it? Mm. And it just, all of it disappears. Yeah. In high tide. But only barely. So, even, even quite light ships with quite oh a... Oh, my God. You know, a small draft would still catch on it like i th- when you were talking about 
the island, mm. um, the rocks. I, I I thought it'd be enough to like be on for a while, but uh, pictures I'm looking at it, it completely disappears. Mm. It, it's that white break. When <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know something's, something's just there. under the water, but you can't see it. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't understand why all these people died. The only thing I'd say about it is that there should probably be some monument to Henry Wynne Stanley as well, because although his was the shortest lasting of them, mm. he proved that it could be done, and it was the you know he built the world's first open sea lighthouse. That's yeah. he did that, and as soon as he'd done it, people went, "Oh, it's difficult, but you can do it," and they started to pop up all Places, over. Right? Yeah, because other people went, "Actually, that's a bloody good it idea." It's happening to us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd like to say lighthouses look a bit like willies. Is that how you want to end this episode? Yeah, it's like the the, the, the sea has an erection. <laughs> oh, God. Well, we tried. We tried to keep it high class. Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week. If Portsmouth was to become a new centre of shipping, Plymouth. What's happened? Have you changed it all to Portsmouth? I don't know if it's changed it all to Portsmouth. You're just going to have to bear with me one second because that's that would be very embarrassing. Just keep changing the place <laughs> as we're going. Where is this? Are we in Pl- Portsmouth? Have you put Plymouth the whole time? And we need to be in Portsmouth. No, it's, it's Plymouth. I'm sure it's Plymouth. Royal William Yard, yeah, Plymouth. Have you got a picture of it? Uh, no. I'm just, I'm just making sure I've got the right place. Because there's a big, like, military base in Plymouth. Yes. It's made out of sandstone. Well, that'll be the one. Yeah. I mean, Coop got lost around there. Yeah, Portsmouth's way further in, isn't it? It's Plymouth. Okay. Is, is, Plym- is Portsmouth on the Tamar? No. Well, that's what I should have... That's what I should have searched, shouldn't it? Well, said uh, Tamar. River. I was searching Rover, because I searched for Rover so much. River Tay. River Tamar. Yeah, Plymouth. Right, we're okay. I just wanted to make sure, because it's, it's uh, Portsmouth. Right. <laughs>